found our first giant. This dude had dreadlocks and he probably had a 70 inch rack. The bull stopped, looked at us, reared up on his hind legs, leapt in the air forward, bounded about for about 40 yards, stopped, looked back, and if he could have talked, I'd swear he's saying, okay, did you get it? Welcome to Wild and Exposed, your wildlife photography and outdoor adventure podcast. Today, we have Ron Hayes, Michael Morrow, cinematographer Tyler Burr, and myself, Mark Raycroft, in the far north, coming to you once again from the field with some exciting adventure stories to share with you from our last nine or ten days. We lose track up here after a few, which is great. Days filming wildlife in the far north where we were after moose, caribou, had owls today, basically whatever we come across. And Tyler and I arrived before Ron and Michael, and when we arrived, it was green. Everything was green. Hold it, hold it. The big boys were still in velvet. Oh, stop. Stop the press. Yes, sir. I think you need to set the scene of where we're at right now. Well, you okay? You want to go there? Yeah. You want want people to know what's happening? (laughs) This is the first. I thought this this was our own little secret. Okay. No, no, no. This is a first. We are all coming to you, unlike some of our podcasts where we're spread out across North America, we are about as close as we've ever been on this podcast. <laughs> we've podcasted in the forest in the Rocky Mountains. We've podcasted from different cabins, from different round table setups. But today, your four hosts on this podcast are coming to you from one pickup truck. <laughs> but it's a crew cab. There's a full bench in the back, two seats in the front. We are out in the field, and it's the only way we could do this to have a quiet space and uh, accomplish a podcast. So we are trying something brand new today so that we can pull it off and share our story with you. Why? Part of the reason is Tyler and I are leaving tomorrow. We have a plane to catch about four or five hours away from here later tomorrow afternoon. Yes, we are going to cry all the way to the airport, Mm -hmm. uh, but that's something we have to do. So this afternoon... We have a few hours of light left. It is raining at the moment, which makes this truck space even more interesting. <laughs> High humidity and raining, but cool it's here. It's getting foggy already. Morning. Yeah, but so if you hear the pitter-patter of rain, it's, it's just, just rain. hitting the truck. It's just rain, yeah. But that helps the colors pop. Right now on the tundra and these tega forests, the reds and yellows are incredible. Wait till you see what we accomplished this morning with a lot of good fortune and hiking, but that's story that you'll have to wait for the end of the podcast to hear. We're going to back it up. When Tyler and I arrived, everything was green. And I've been to this area many, many times. And so that's standard. End of August or so, things are green. And it does change quickly. But it did take a while to change on this trip. And our adventure, as much as we love being here, started off quite slowly. Slowly. So I should say that differently. Quite slowly. Slowly. (laughs) We covered a lot of ground, a lot of country with great excitement and anticipation, loaded camera packs, and we didn't find... We got shut down. Shut down. Not shut out, shut down. And how, how... So loaded camera packs and loaded miles or loaded camera packs and... Just a little bit of miles? What were you guys doing? Quite a few miles. We were doing a combination of things. So we could drive our fancy rental truck to high points, hike out in glass, and look for animals. But unlike right now, you know, 10 days later, where a lot of the animals are out of velvet, and you can see those satellite dish antler paddles way out in the red tundra. They stand out like highlights. It makes it easier spotting. When we arrived, a lot of the animals... These ungulates that have their antlers that we're after were still in velvet, so they don't pop the same. And then they're against green, so you have this brown antlers and the green vegetation, and it's just not as striking a contrast, so not as easy to find. So we glassed from high points. We drove to various ones to try to accomplish that. And then, you know, when that failed, we put our packs on and hiked many miles. Uh, the first day, we did about 15 kilometers yep. for caribou, is what we're hoping for, but it's also moose country. Um, for our, uh, 
non-kilometer people, how many is 15 kilometers? <laughs> For a non, the non-kilometer metric people, that would be, I'd say, 10, or 10 miles maybe, 11 miles? 9.6. 9.6, according to Mr. Ron Hayes, and I'll, I'll trust him on that. So, but it was that day, there was a, a big grizzly off on the tundra that we, that we saw, but we didn't get any, well, we did get pictures, actually. That day turned out to be the first hike we did. We saw caribou. What we were hoping for was to find a band of caribou together. These bulls stay together this time of year. It's still pre-rut enough. It's, a, it's three to four weeks away anyway before they start rutting. So they keep each other company. But these bulls, we found four caribou on that hike, but they were kind of independent. And because of that, we're a bit jumpy. Um, we were able to get close to a couple, but they would not feed for long. and be erratic. And then, yeah, not for long. No images. Um, were accomplished at that, but it was the last bull that we found, and that day was sunny, unlike a lot of the days for the beginning of this trip. There's been an unprecedented amount of precipitation on this trip for autumn. Usually autumn up here, we get a lot more high pressure than you experience during the summer months. This trip's been more low pressure and more rain, and when everything's green, you know, it's just not the same effect as it is now, 10 days later with the colors popping. It's okay now because it just saturates everything. But when green, it's not quite as sexy for the wildlife photographer. But that day was sunny. So we had a brilliant walk. We hiked this ridge line, and up on top of this ridge line, it was barren. There was a, a path, and it was just down to the stone. And obviously due to the, how windswept this landscape is, and also I think a lot of animals use these footpaths. And on top of this ridge, we were able to walk for a couple of miles with relative ease, and we found uh, a caribou antler shed. We saw the tail end of a car bull caribou and his beautiful rack as he disappeared over a rise. Mm. But when we were about a mile left in our hike, we came across a magnificent bull that was out of velvet. So on that hike, we saw of the four bulls, um, I think two were in velvet, one was shedding velvet, and one was out of velvet. Would have been incredible to get all three of those scenarios in one frame. Dream on, Raycroft. <laughs> so we got it. We were heading about a mile left in our hike. We saw this magnificent bull. And looking straight on at him, he didn't look the most impressive. But he was a big bull. But when he turned profile or angled away his rack, there's just the best angle. Wide, heavy sweeping, heavy upper antlers. And he was up on this ridge line that was so picturesque. And so we hiked up through the shrubbery, snacking on the odd blueberry, taking our time, getting closer and closer to this caribou. And he didn't seem to mind us at all. We got about 80 yards away, not close enough to get great images. But his back, the background was a far-off mountain, about it'd be half a mile or a mile away. So it's this great depth of field, and you could tell it was a mountain behind him. So I was so excited to try and get this image, but I couldn't accomplish it because of the height of the vegetation and because of how far we were from him. And he meandered about another 40 yards and then got in a patch of willows that was that were up to his eyes. And at that point, he seemed to get nervous because he couldn't see around. And he started trotting down the slope, and we walked carefully and briskly, paralleling him about 80 yards, and never accomplished that mountain shot, sorry to say. But we followed him down to this drainage, and there the willows were shorter, about his shoulder height, or maybe the top bottom of his belly even at times. So the images were better, and we crept closer and closer, and he was tolerant, he was feeding, no worries, it was all good, but we still didn't have a great shot. Then something awesome happened. So Tyler's filming this. He's got the gimbal going. He's walking behind me, trying to document what this adventure is like for our listeners to view later on the website or on our YouTube channel. And the bull stopped, looked at us, reared up on his hind legs, leapt in the air forward, bounded about for about 40 yards, stopped, looked back, and if he could have talked, I'd swear he's saying, okay, did you get it? <laughs> <laughs> and what, what is that behavior? Have you ever seen that before? I, you know, I've never captured that photograph. But you've seen it? You know, not before then. Um, another friend that was up here said he'd seen it once more on this, on, during this time this year. Um, but I'd never seen it. I think he was just bounding up so he'd get a better view all around. But he only went 40 yards or so and started feeding again. So it was a very unique image that was the only highlight real image that I was able to capture 
on that hike that afternoon, that evening. But by then, the light was beautiful, the evening, not much color because it was early on in the trip, but he was magnificent. And, it, and just luckily, it was the perfect angle to highlight his antlers. So that was the finish of that day, which will make for a great vlog for our YouTube channel because we've captured all of that. And Tyler, you were able to get that jump? Were you rolling? No, I wasn't on the jump. I was on, I think I was on you at that point. So I got a really cool shot of Mark, you know, excitedly photoing and then looking back at it afterwards and being like, I got it. That's good, <laughs> though, really because fun. if he's got the image, you've got him with his reaction. So that'll be awesome. Mm -hmm. huh. And that same story, that whole, you know, following him, him down, that was my first time ever really going through that in, in the tundra and all that stuff. So it was me learning pretty quick how to uh, <laughs> navigate the footwork and not get tripped up and at the same time, I'm trying to keep the camera steady as I, you know, film Mark. And he, he gets, when he gets excited, he can move. He's he's pretty experienced with uh, this terrain, so he's he was hard to keep up with. It's like he's on a magic carpet. Yeah, so it was, he was putting me through my paces. It was a steep learning curve. But, until, until uh, oh, man, it was fun. Until I get to the blueberries. <laughs> he slows right And I get down. distracted. <laughs> but that was your first day for caribou, too. That yep. was your first day with this species, right? Yep. Absolutely. That was a high-five moment. I that mean, was Because really they cool. are magnificent. And, and real privilege to share space with here in the far north. So as a first-timer, what, what's your impression with these animals? Of caribou? Yeah. Bigger than I thought they were. You know, you really? see, see shots of them, and you don't really have... I, I've never had any scale to reference them from um, to compare to... You know, in my area, we get, you know, little deer and stuff, but it's a totally different to to what a caribou is. So, no, it was really cool to see them, and, you know, it was fun to have to chase them like and just we had to work for position it. and work around them i mean they were very they weren't worried about us um right because they're individual and there was a grizz in the area so you never know i mean the wind swirls and stuff so what it could be at times they seemed a little jumpy mm -hmm. you said this one was hard antlered yep yeah but he just shed or no the red was all gone so with the amount of rain we've had it wouldn't take long to wash those antlers clean right. from any residue from shedding right. their velvet so this guy had probably been out for three or four days or more anyway when i see caribou in the velvet and like if you follow them down a the road or you see something their antlers will actually like vibrate on top of their head when they walk It'll really be like dong, dong, flex dong, sure. yeah but if he's hard antlered, I'm just wondering, if he's jumping up in the air and landing, I mean, that would be, you know, when they're soft still, it would create a, a headache almost. Oh, well, we yeah, we found that shed, it. too, and I went and looked at that, and, man, those things are way heavier than I thought they were. Right. Like, right. I would not want to carry two of those around on my head for a year. And I know our, you know, the vast majority of our audience knows that these ungulates, these antlered animals, shed and regrow their antlers every year. So that's what happens in the wintertime. They drop that extra weight. And those lucky, fortunate ones that walk the tundra can sometimes find these little treasures to admire. I think, Tyler, to answer your question about the weight, I think the, you know, as they're growing, it's just gradual kind of addition of weight as they're growing. Stuff, so I yeah. think they just get used to it. It's yeah. almost like, oh, well, you know, I think the time when it's weird has got to be when they fall off. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you're like, whoa. They're running happened? away faster. Yeah, what happened? I got... <laughs> I got no weight on my head. I've seen that happen with whitetails and uh, on a couple of occasions while filming in the winter. And they kind of, it's its a weird phenomenon. They take about four steps backwards, shake their head, and then like one antler falls off. Rarely do they both fall off simultaneously. But I've seen that happen with, within about 30 yards. Then they'll run and the other one falls off or they just keep running in this like freaked out kind of weird frame of mind wondering what's running in a circle because they're so off balance well <laughs> not in a circle oh no, no yeah they're not that heavy but just they do this little twisty turn run and you can tell it's a bit of a freakish moment for them and then there are some that'll come and smell it again and other ones will just be like no nah, i'm done with that just keep on going no no emotional attachment whatsoever to that that device that helped them through the rut mating season dominance sparring fighting so important all of autumn so that was that the caribou story was day one. And day two well it wasn't day two. I think it was day three. We went on a hike into the same region and it was still mostly red and we were hoping to find again a band of caribou because when there's a group of them together, they're more tolerant because it seems to be the safety in number. It's I you know, an 
one analogy I came up with on this trip was you think about people that might back country camp or go on an expedition here in the far north. And some people will do it on their own, but most people are more comfortable in a group. And it's just that safety in numbers. And I think these caribou, being a prey species, settle a bit more when there are four or five or seven or eight caribou bulls together because they just rely on each other to notice the danger, and it's not all on that individual. So that's what we were hoping to find, and, and unfortunately we didn't. But we did get lucky. We'd only hiked about two miles, and we looked up this ridge, and this is when the transformation happens this time of year. As summer transitions to autumn, this velvet comes off, and we saw this white patch. And so I put, pulled out the camera out of the pack, zoomed into 500, took a photo, zoomed in like 500% on the back of the screen and could see there was a moose bedded up in a willow thicket who was out of velvet. And Which so, was very exciting for me to see as well because that was my first whisper of getting close to a, a right. moose potentially. We'd seen, yeah, and up until that point, we'd seen a couple of small bulls, I mean really small bulls, yearling bulls in velvet, but we had no opportunity to film a big bull moose at that point on this trip. And it was a fair hike up this ridge, and we didn't know how tolerant he would be. So we took our time and made another great vlog. Uh, we did several video clips describing what we were doing and showing the country uh, on the way up to this moose and getting closer and closer. Turned out he could have cared less we were there. It was it made for a, an amazing photo shoot, and he was a very respectable bull moose. And we didn't realize it at the time hiking up, but he had company. There was this tiny... One of the small, actually, he might be the smallest moose, bull moose I've ever photographed, was hanging out with him. And he was still in velvet. He was a yearling. His antlers were, you know, smaller than what you'd see on a, on a white-tailed deer. But the big guy provided some great images for us, and we spent probably three hours up there mm -hmm. filming him as he browsed on the willows along this ridgeline and some great color. Still, it was mostly green, but there, there, the color was just starting to give us some hints up there. So that was... That was a lot of fun and productive and a good workout. So I love when we do shoots that we have to expend the energy to accomplish the photos. For some reason, they just are more memorable to me. And it was a relief, too, for the sake of this trip. I mean, we came up here, a lot of our intention was to create podcast content and for these vlogs. And Tyler's been doing an awesome job at capturing all kinds of angles. And he's, I can't wait to see what he puts together on these short videos. But this allowed us to show the success of another photo shoot with another one of these big animals up here in the far north. So it was a great relief only a few days into the trip to get a good moose experience to share with everybody as well. So that was another 10-mile hike. Well, we didn't have to go as far as we looked for caribou. Because we were unlucky with the caribou, we went a lot further and... and covered probably three more big valleys looking for them and it was on our route back that we found the caribou so we hiked a lot more that day but this bull it was a fair amount of effort to get up this mountainside ridge yeah it was a lot more crawling through taller shrubs right yeah so that might have it would have been a little more challenging habitat than the caribou maybe mm -hmm. yeah but it was great when we got up there because the bull bedded a couple of times between browsing sessions in the in the time that we spent with him. So we'd just sit down and and take it all in, you know, enjoy the vast country up here. And truly, I love the blueberries. And up on this, where we had blueberries, the wild blueberries the day before with the caribou, they were tart down in this valley where the caribou was. But up higher on this ridge, I mean, we were probably 2,000 feet higher from where we had filmed the caribou a couple of days beforehand. They must have had a better frost up high because those blueberries were perfect, and, and that was great and just to be there. And that's what... I think know. if you look really closely at the clips once the vlog comes out, you'll see <laughs> actually a little speck of blueberry on the corner of Mark's lip in one of them. I forget which, which <laughs> one that's going to be. Well, hold in, on. You didn't tell me that was keep, there. Keep your eyes out. <laughs> I <That's> can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> so egg salad this morning, blueberries... <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that's the last story for this podcast. We're getting ahead of ourselves. That was maybe I should start nope. carrying a napkin. Yeah, well, or maybe you had a who's ever this morning who's ever soaked. taking pictures of me or filming me should point it out before they hit no, record. It's natural, no. buddy. You gotta yeah. have it. Yeah, that's we want that critical content. <laughs> so, uh, all right. So day three. Well, that's that, I think that was day three. But the color oh, okay. at that point. From that day forward, the color changed 
so much overnight each day. It was like, wow. And just every day became more and more vibrant to where we are at day 10 here. And it's just magnificent. The reds are so uh, rich right now. So it was getting better. Uh, we did another hike into the same region again, hoping for caribou. And this day we were not successful. Mm -hmm. I don't, we didn't even see a caribou or moose. We did see a, a very blonde grizzly way off across the valley, but, um, too far to photograph. And of course we weren't going to close the distance to that point anyway. So we cycled back and didn't get anything on that day. So it doesn't always pan out, but it was, it was a great relief when it, when it did for those two inaugural hikes for caribou and moose. For the and, at, and at this point in the trip too, this is a few days into our trip, and you're, we're starting to be able to see the transition of colors as well, mm -hmm. which I I really liked that we we came as early as we did because when we arrived, like you said, everything was green, and then over the course of the last week and a bit, we've been able to see the transition. Exactly. Every day, it's more vibrant, more beautiful, and it's yeah, it's it's been really cool to see it sort of from beginning to not quite the end yet, but. Uh, well, and a lot of people in, in this, like where I live in, in southern Canada, you know, we get three to four weeks of color, whereas in the far north here you get, it depends on the wind and rain, but you get two weeks if you're lucky. Mm -hmm. It's a very brief season of color, and, and probably more frequently you will get a week to ten days where it's really photogenic. So next up, again, we're looking for moose and caribou. Uh, those are pr primary subjects and markets of mine in the far north here. And we were not, aside from the big bull we hiked up the ridge for, we were not finding any mature bulls. We were finding cow after cow after cow. Countless cows. Cow after cow. Well, and kind of explain where we're at to you, because I think, you know, we come to these areas because they're areas that we know bulls congregate in. Well, right? in, in remote areas where so, they're, I mean, uh, we're, it's such a wild area that they're not pressured, right? Well, they're not pressured, but we come here because we know it's a traditional Rutting ground. Yeah, so you you almost expect to, you right. know, you don't want, you want the cows, obviously, because that's what brings the bulls in, but... For sure. You get disappointed when you're like, ah, oh, there's no bulls today, or... Right, that's They're just true. not showing up, or... I think you just put that in context, because it's so important for, you know, someone that's not a... doesn't understand what's going on. Me. I mean, <laughs> we're coming here because you're excited about seeing this behavior, both with the females and the males, but the males are the ones we key in on yeah no it's something the cow the female moose are very important to have around because you know the rut is only a couple of weeks away in fact i've seen them mate this early they haven't harmed up yet that i've ever seen it's usually later in september but we yes uh, I'm, i mean it's good you brought that up they do congregate in certain areas for harming and for the rut and some moose as we know might come from 15 miles away some of the bulls knowing this is the traditional rutting ground so that's yeah absolutely we come with that in mind and we also being up here in the far north there's the largest moose potentially on the planet so we're hoping to see big guys our fingers are crossed that our eyes will pop out of our heads when we see something magnificent and just because of the potential i mean it's it's really mind-blowingly awesome that they can grow antlers that span over six feet wide uh in a matter of four to five months or not even that you know they really do grow most of their antlers in june through july and by the end of august they shed their velvet and of course they start in april but this the beginning of the antler growth is much slower than through june and july hmm. um, so we hope to see these monstrous mammoth like ancient looking beasts here on the on the tundra because it's there's that possibility and that wasn't happening. We were seeing a, a lot of young moose. We saw a lot of females and a lot of young bulls. So for a while, I was even speculating that maybe it was a really harsh winter. You know, maybe these bulls that exhaust themselves through the rut each fall, they fight for the attention of the females and to hold the harem and, you know, are subject to injury and just overall fatigue of going through this for weeks. So they're vulnerable, more vulnerable than any other sex age group if a harsh winter occurs. So I was wondering, you know, after several days of having no look, luck finding big bulls, which typically, I, you know, I've been in this region um, 10 or 11 times. This was the slowest start we'd ever had to a trip for mature animals, for moose. So I was wondering if it was a harsh winter. Then a couple of days, well, maybe halfway through the trip, uh, we found our first giant. And it was a spectacular daybreak. 
It, it was a frosty morning. It was clear. The light was striking, stunning across the mountains in the tundra. And we were getting more and more color. But this monster bull appeared about three-quarters of a mile away with a smaller bull with him. The smaller bull was probably a three-and-a-half-year-old out of velvet. The big bull was shedding velvet. This dude had dreadlocks. He, yeah. It was cool. And he probably had a 70-inch rack. And what was even more exciting, when we first glassed him and spotted him, the light was in the right direction. And he was coming toward us. You know, very often it's like you see a moose like this, he's a mile off, and he's facing away, walking away. And there's no way we can high-step it through the tundra to keep up with a bull if he's on a walkabout. But this big guy, this Goliath, was coming toward us. So it was really exciting. The anticipation kept building as he closed the yardage and basically went past us at about 30, 40 yards away, which was just phenomenal to be that close to... Uh, you know, he's probably at least a 15, or no, actually probably 1,600-pound bull. They can get up to 1,800 pounds up here, and, and he was in the top 80th percentile for sure. And my, my eyes were popping out of my head because this is the biggest animal I've ever seen in my life for sure. And no I was, matter what species. Yeah. For a wild animal. Yeah. I believe Totally. That. Yeah, well. And well, and just thinking about the convergence of circumstances that needed to come together for it to work out like that, too. Like, there needed to be that big moose in the area. We needed to be in the area. Had to be there at the same time as each other. The light was perfect that morning, and then he happened to be coming in our direction. Like, it was just this freakish one in, you know, however many percentage chance. The stars lined up that it was. It's just amazing they didn't that that happened. Many other of the mornings we were out. But that morning, yeah, that's right. Perseverance and the luck. That's and, and we we appreciate it when that happens. I mean, we really do sit down, and after the shoot, it's like, wow, right? That's what we do this for. Yeah. And by that time, you're here, Ron, right? Yeah. I had, I uh, I think that was my second day, um, maybe second full day, because it had, the first day was pretty slow. And uh, when, yeah, when we spotted this thing, he was, he was a long way off, and going back to preparedness and equipment and something that we'll talk more about later. Um, I grabbed a 600 millimeter lens because he was so far out and I wanted to bring him in, you know, as close as I could. And then as he closed the distance, I didn't have the ability to go switch the lens out. So I was stuck shooting with the 600 millimeter and I got, I got some unique shots. I'm very, still very happy with the encounter and, and that's, you know, that is kind of why you you come to this location is to find those big bulls and to see something like that moving across the tundra. And it looked like he was just sauntering, but having walked across the tundra myself, <laughs> it's no easy task for us. But those guys just, I mean, they cover ground easily. Glide. Mm -hmm. They do. And uh, and it did. It looked like, you know, it it look like full-on dreadlock head of hair coming off those antlers and and then he'd also been you know in an attempt to shed the the velvet he'd been raking on some willows and some alders and he had those stuck in his antlers as well he had so a lot to, of character yeah to be able to get those shots um it, it was a great encounter and it you know as fast as he moved across um he disappeared just as quickly when he decided to go. Just strolled right past us. Yeah. And then the, he, I don't think Mark's talked about this. After after the larger bull, he, he did, Mark did comment on the fact that there was two bulls together. After the larger bull kind of disappeared off into the alders, um, the young bull was probably, what, a couple minutes behind him and came across in the most beautiful light that I've seen since we've been here. Um, That's one of my favorite shots of this Yeah, trip. For I did sure. better on the young bull mm -hmm. than the big bull that morning. Yeah, he was just perfect. Nice catch because light. And dark sky backdrop. Dark sky, yep. The um, So before you go uh, further, Mark, you had mentioned earlier that this was a 70-inch bull. Hmm. Put into context, the biggest bull you've ever seen is what, 80? Well, yeah, the world record is 80, 81. So right. a 70-inch bull is a monster. Yeah. Yep, he's so you guys are like shaking. 
Well, Good thing you have very, VR. It's very exciting, but it was. <laughs> I have to. I have to say something. As as wonderful as the light was, and as magnificent a specimen as this bull was, it did not produce as many images as I'd hoped for on him because of a couple of reasons. Um, he didn't stop when he closed within 150 yards or so. He never stopped in a place where I had sightline on him. He didn't rake a tree. He didn't stop and look at us. As he went by, and this this whole dreadlock thing is him shedding his velvet, right? It's a 24 to 48-hour process, usually 24, but we'll give these big guys an extra day to try and get it off. And they shed it off as rapidly as they can by thrashing the shrubbery because it gets in their way, in their in their vision. And that's what happened for me is when, when he looked straight on, that was the best photo opportunity because he was so wide and heavy. But when he was profiling... Um, it's hard to see that with, but the dreadlocks or the velvet strands of velvet that were hanging down were in front of his face a bit. So I couldn't get his eye. And I know I can't do anything with the image with no eye, not just catch light, no eye, because the strand of velvet's in front of it. So he's kept coming and I'm like, you know, just straining. I have the camera up and, and I'm adjusting the zoom and the telephoto as he gets closer and closer to keep the framing I want and just hoping to see that eye and that catch light. And it did happen a couple of times, but very rarely. So that's why I didn't get a lot of images of him, despite he was just magnificent. And then when the younger bull, who was kind of shadowing him, saying, hey, big buddy, I want to hang out with you because you're cool and so big. I want to be big like you someday. <laughs> and when the big bull went past, you know, the little bull went past about, 50 yards further off but we were able to get zoom in and get these great close-ups and the light on the little bull was perfect as well mm -hmm. but because he had no velvet there was nothing obstructing any part of his clean sleek pre-rut moose head so or front end um, i zoomed in to try and get his torso and, and his head against that dark sky with this his the side we were facing was lit up beautifully with the very early morning light so I did better on the little bull, but I, I do, I, I really don't digest the images thoroughly till I get back in the office and have time to edit on a trip like this. I do look at the highlight reel ones. So I'm hoping I have more of that big guy than I, I know I have a few, but I'm hoping there's more there. But it was, it was an extra challenge as a wildlife photographer. As much as it's cool to document the velvet shedding, it gets in the way at times as well. Yeah, and the, the really unfortunate part was not only was the biggest clump of velvet you know, on the side that he was approaching on, but that was the side that the light was on, so it cast, you know, not only was it in the way, but it, even when it wasn't, when you had a look at his eye, his eye was in shadow. So, yeah, it it was kind of double difficult on that side because it, it was the side that, you know, the the sun was coming from, and, yeah, could have been a great opportunity and, and was. So sure. he's just basically on a mission then, too, because yeah, he knew he where was, he was going. He, was he wasn't going to stop. He just... He's a mile away when you spot him, and then he's going. He obviously knew he was headed to some point unknown, mm -hmm. right? Yep, where the girls hang out somewhere up the hill. <laughs> yeah, but the that bull was that that was a great first. No kidding. Big bull. Right? Yeah. Thanks for coming, Ron. And yeah. like day two, and, and actually, you're, you're in action with one the biggest bull we've seen. Mm -hmm. That wasn't the first big bull though. That we photographed. No, because the night before. Oh, I forgot about that one. Yeah, there was a, another he, he large was, bull. He, he was, was large, sixty but not, plus, but he wasn't as big as this no, guy. For he was sure. not in this guy's league. He uh -huh. would, he would have. They don't have tails, but he would have tucked tail for the big guy. <laughs> but he was still, a, he was still a beautiful bull. He was, yeah, and, and he was, was in velvet. full velvet. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that was the interesting thing. Yeah, right. So he was still totally in velvet, and for early September, that's unusual. And that guy did have, you know, it probably wasn't a rut situation because you know again he hadn't shed his velvet he they were acting kind of cozy but he did have three mature cows with him mm -hmm. uh, that didn't have calves and they were down in a, uh, the bottom of a drainage and uh, eating on the alders and then this guy would kind of once in a while come out and give us an opportunity but you know that one again full shadow so at least you had even light uh, for that shoot that was nice. But he did come down and get a drink, you know, in a great location. So you could you could document that behavior. Um, and then there was a cow. He and a, a, one of the cows came together. And actually, it looked like from the angle, it looked like they were actually 
touching noses. So you have that interaction. And so you can Photoshop some hearts above their heads? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's a Valentine's Day shot right there. Well, and right before Not that, that we do was... anything like that, of course, but <laughs> just as a cartoon visual. That's it was, what it it felt was cool, like. too, right before that when he you know, came up from taking a drink because there's all this water, water dripping down yep. from his face, too, and he was just having a look around. And, it, uh, yeah, that was I, hopefully you the guys got some cool shots The tough part of that, that shot is it was almost dark, and to get that water running off, you need a little bit more shutter speed. Mm -hmm. And I was kind of pushing as far as I wanted with the ISO. So I had, you know, I was only shooting about 1 100th to 1 160th of a second, depending on the light that he was in. And so that water running off, I think it was going to be blurred. You wouldn't, mm -hmm. you wouldn't get the detail on it that you'd want. Um, I didn't want to push the ISO anymore because, again, that was the first, that was the first big bullet we saw. The... The other bull, though, the Rasta bull, he was the first bona fide giant, yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's what we hope to see. Yeah. I mean, they're all impressive, but it's a rare opportunity to photograph bull moose of that caliber. And something else, um, yeah, I mean, I love how these days blend together. At the end of the trip, it, it's, it seems like this is just flowing past way too quickly mm -hmm. every trip. But it's also nice because if you spend 10 days or more in a, in a wilderness place, you start to lose track of time and, and days blend and you're just in the moment. I mean, how often in, in modern times do we live in the moment? We're always worried about what's next or how many to-do things. My list for to-dos gets too long and it's just one to another. But here, it's just about what's in the moment, what's in front of you. And it's refreshing to lose track of time. There's something and sometimes all that's in the moment right in front of you is snowshoe hairs. Oh, yeah, <laughs> let's go there in, in one second. I want to point out one other thing about a challenge about these biggest bulls and, and capturing their the catch light is not just the velvet but some of these dudes have such big lower antlers that it shadows their mm -hmm. face and on an overcast day no problem because you've got the even light but on a morning like that with this vibrant beautiful sunrise there's a shadow covering half his face and you don't get the catch light so it's a matter of timing that as well which is why um, I, we didn't get it of this guy of course but why the lip curl shots the Fleming when they tip their heads back it creates such a dramatic image because you do get that even light no matter how massive their antlers are but you're right tyler yeah there were times where snowshoe hares were the were the, the highlight. highlight of the day they're, they're fun we we did some video that was one of my uh first experiments shooting the d850 at 4k video on on my video tripod and that was fun it was fun to do and there was this there was this root mass and the color was changing where the snowshoe hares were but this root mass for some reason they kept coming back to and chewing on and there were a couple of babies and stuff so that was a, a distraction yeah snowshoe hares were were filmed past the time on a slow day yeah yeah you gotta have that oh well you gotta find all the other species too right it's just fun to do well, and, you know, and I don't want to jump ahead because we still have stories to tell about today, but, you know, an hour and a half ago, we found two great horned owls in a yellow aspen tree. That mm -hmm. was cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And they don't sleep the entire day. They open their eyes maybe twice in an hour. <laughs> <laughs> and I could, I could just be a broken record and say over and over that it's like, yeah, that was the first time I experienced that. That was the first time I experienced that. <laughs> this whole trip has been a lot of firsts, and it's been, yeah, really, really just educational very cool that's awesome that's well it all starts somewhere for all of us right mm -hmm. and the more experiences you have I, you really do start to i mean you appreciate it the first time because of the wow factor mm -hmm. but every time you do a trip like this you cannot predict the outcome you can't predict the experiences sure you're hoping to see moose and caribou but you don't know what you're going to see what they're going to do what the light will be like so despite doing this so many times and i'm sh sure you feel the same way mike is every trip comes is different the outcome's different the experiences are different oh for sure and it's you know you could have predatory behavior you could just have nothing you could have rabbits or hares and that's it or you just never know yeah it's a relief when it works out you know that, again this trip was about creating podcast content and these vlogs and those have worked out you know there were a couple that didn't but that's part of what we do we and we still good exercise and we still got wild blueberries but there were for those that that have worked out so this morning this morning was you know i it was it's a tale of preparation i would say <laughs> yeah this morning big time <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> without it? a doubt or a tale of lack of preparation <laughs> without a doubt 
<laughs> well, it was it was raining this morning, a it dark morning, you know. So so uh, when it's raining, I one, one should do what? <laughs> <laughs> Not what we did. So we we slept in an hour because we'd had a few short nights and waiting for the light to pick up. And then on our our way, we you know. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Okay, yeah, right. wait a second. What's this because stuff? yeah, right. half of us, <laughs> half of us slept, slept in. in this morning. And then Tyler and I. Yeah. So Ron and I are out beating the bushes, traveling around trying to find whatever, and we should have slept in because he's the, these two are the only smart. I mean, uh, it's dark. It's it raining. Work that way. We're not getting anything, and then we finally find a bull. Except that. Yeah, had had we slept in, right? It this, wasn't. Yeah, so I, this I, wouldn't have happened. Yes, that yeah, was when true. we caught up with you guys this morning, and and I didn't. Hold I didn't on, even... I want to I want to lead into this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to speed it up a little bit. Yeah, here. I know you do because you don't you don't want this to happen. All right, go. For it. <laughs> so we're driving down the road, and you know, just kind of looking for what where we wanted to go, what we wanted to do. Um, Mike was in front of me about two, 250 yards mm-hmm. and had just gone by this area and I, you know, no brake lights. So I knew he didn't see anything. And all of a sudden this cow shoots up from the bottom of the, of the drainage. And she was, she was coming fast. I mean, most of the cows that we've seen, they've been feeding and, and going slow. This cow was acting completely different. So I thought one of two things, either she's got a predator chasing her or there's a bull behind her and so i flipped around and and came back and just sat and watched the spot where she crossed and that's when you know it was probably a couple minutes later um when this guy showed up but just as the moose shows up in true Raycroft fashion. In true Raycroft fashion, <laughs> Mr. Moose yeah. rolls up, sipping his coffee, yep. gets out slowly, and then not a single sip, yet. and then went into moose mode. Yeah, which led to our shambles and which zero led preparation. To our it was zero to a hundred real fast. Zero prep well. <laughs> excursion into. And it's because you know Mark gets all these moose things. So you watch Mark and you're like, oh, he's moving. We better move. We got to move. Yeah. So I'm looking. I I had my boots on already. I think you had to put boots on. I had to put boots on. So I'm like, okay, I got a little bit of time. And I saw Mark was putting boots on. So I'm like, okay, I can root around a little bit here and find what I need. So I got a camera cover because it's raining. And I just thought, okay, I need to protect the camera. And then I looked in my box and i'm like seeing my rain pants there and i'm thinking no nah, i don't need those we're not gonna go that far well that was the that was a mistake that was yeah. a big mistake i made the same one my rain pants were safely and securely <laughs> dry dry <laughs> in the truck hey mark where was your rain year mine was my uh rain pants are in my luggage bag in the back of the truck <laughs> and my rain jacket was in my camera pack on my back the entire time we were in the rain but I was wearing a, a shell kind of so but my pants yeah I, what I was going to suggest was you know because it was such a rainy wet morning and low light low light uh, I was going to go have a shower this morning we're gonna go and tidy up and and then come up and start looking for wildlife across the landscape and we skipped that thankfully but we got it anyway <laughs> because when we hiked across this the, the willow, the willow f- shrubbery and the blueberry shrubbery in this forest, within a hundred yards, you know, you could have hosed me down and would have been the same. Just yeah. soaked yeah. right through the pants, everything. Well, when we first started, I thought, oh, this would be all right. I'm just getting a little bit wet. My boots are fine. And then we kept going, and then we kept going, and my pants are getting wetter. The only thing dry on me was my backside, because I'm brushing against all this vegetation you kept the, you, covered in water i don't think there was anything dry on me no same my it, backside was not dry oh i stayed dry back there but my boots are i treat them really well so i mm-hmm. thought i've walked through rivers in them when we were doing out on the russian river market we were walking through water and never got wet right but then all of a sudden i'm starting to feel the inside of my boots getting wet and i'm thinking yeah like what's about going on here three quarters of an inch of water in there <laughs> by the time we were done i was walking in a half inch of water in my boots 
But I think what it did is it, my pants got so wet that it just drained down into the top of my boots and then soaked my socks, and it just was like a, a conduit of moisture. Moral That's of the story is when you wake up and it's raining, <laughs> put your rain, put your rain on. gear on. Yeah, then you can you can do the hustle. You might even beat Mr. Moose out there, right? Because he's still putting his boots on. Well, and had had we taken the time to put on rain pants, we would not have caught up to him anyways, because he again was moving pretty quick. For a well, bit. he so. was after that cow, and that cow was unusual. That cow, you know, she like you said, most of the cows we've seen are pretty docile. They're just doing their thing, but this cow was on the move. You know, we, when we caught up with him and found him, they'd separated, and he was on his own. And so I didn't see the cow for a long time, and he was zigzagging through the forest, and we were looking for windows of opportunity between the spruce trees to hopefully get some color and get a clean photograph. And, and we haven't said this yet, but he was another really big bull. And even had a neat little hook coming off one of his antlers, mm -hmm. a little drop tying kind of hook, but a big bull. And so it's a challenge to get him clean in that vegetation, not have antlers hidden. Right. To find him was one thing because it was a forest, a lot of it. Um, spruce trees with shrubbery in, betw in between, a northern tega forest, and then with these openings. So we were skirting around. And we were up there, and, and we just decided, we kind of spread out. We fanned out, and we'd whistle, you know, because we sound like beautiful songbirds when we whistle. <laughs> <laughs> if somebody found it, you know. <laughs> right? <laughs> so we looked for probably, I don't know if it was 20 minutes anyway, if not longer, before we found him. And then it's a matter of finding a window. But he was zigzagging through, and, and he... I was trying to figure out, is he nervous? And I don't think he was. He was looking for that cow. And enough time had lapsed that she'd bedded down. And I watched, as we went with him, he covered another 150 yards, and there she was, and she stood up in front of him. But as you were pointing out, Ron, uh, she was... she was Not interested. Not, not interested in him. She re wasn't ready for love. Or she was just, you know, a, a nervous cow, a female, and she would not stick around and led him on a chase through the forest. So we yeah. really didn't get a whole lot more. We had another cow, Tyler and I were finishing up the vlog, the videos we were doing, and we had a cow just having a salad, having a picnic with us, you know, 50 yards over our shoulder, who could care less? Why couldn't that have been the cow that he wanted to spend time <laughs> with and stuck around? Yeah, because he didn't care about us. He no. was 100% interested in that cow. Yeah. And maybe she was just on the verge of coming into... Right season you know he, he certainly thought so because there was other moose in that little pocket and he didn't pay any attention mm. to anything but her right that could be and they do you know when these females get into heat their disposition does change they get a little more prancy a little more and and if they're not actually in heat they don't want to stand yet for the bull they don't want mating to occur and that could be a day or two away at this point so mm -hmm. she'll just keep mm -hmm. leading him and he'll keep staying in the vicinity until she lets him approach to copulate and breed but it's just interesting to have a podcast we did, what was it, yesterday, about sheep going after the sheep and how prepared. We were talking about headlamps. We are talking about <laughs> wind gear. We are talking about ring gear. We were talking about first aid stuff. And then we all, every one of us, well, I guess there was one of us that had rain pants on, Barrett. And yeah, true. He was, he, but we're all out there and we're just soaked. It was, it was, the whole time I'm walking through there, I'm thinking, this is great podcast material. Yeah. And an embarrassment to Boy Scouts everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> it, it shows our excitement. We've done this for yeah. a couple of decades and we still run it. We still get so pumped up by it that we just want to be there. And he was moving. So, and I you think know, you know that, you know, it's not cold. I don't mind getting wet. No. It's not. I mean, it's not warm, but it's not cold. So I think we knew even if we got wet, we're, nothing's bad going to happen. I mean, you're just going to be uncomfortable. And then we get, you know, a couple hours later, we're back at the trucks. We try not to be too wild and exposed, but we get out of that wet <laughs> have clothes. A, have a good laugh and try to figure out how you're going to get your boots dry. <laughs> yeah, I don't, <laughs> I don't think mine are going to dry by tomorrow morning. Not anytime soon. Unless we go sit by a fire mine somewhere. Mine are a solid two days. <laughs> Bacon in the sun to Two that. days away from being dry. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's going to take a bit of work there. That was a fun morning. We but did that, get some yeah. images. That, that was a great was awesome. Yeah, morning. got some. It was a rush. Got some good 
face shots, good profile shots. Not much with it. Environmental, had a couple opportunities to get some environmental portraits, but as soon as you'd get set, that cow would take off and and this is, you know, 7,500 yards away. So she didn't, I don't think, know or care that we were there. She was more focused on avoiding him. Yep. And uh, so she took off. He was gone. And they'll do that until they're yep. ready to stand. Yep. Elk will do that. Whitetails will do that. I bet you caribou even do that. Not that I've had the privilege to, to rec see that. And this this whole experience was such a bonus for us because we, we you know, looking at the forecast, we didn't expect to get anything really happening today which explains the extra hour of sleep <laughs> yes it does right. so when we got out there and this was happening it was really just the cherry on top especially for the people who slept in all right so when that cow that wasn't ready to be bred led that bull up the landscape toward the mountains there was absolutely no way we could keep up so we let them go and we finished the vlog tyler and i because another cow was right near us so it was really cool to be able to Talk about being in moose country and the thrill of the photo shoot with a moose off in the background and she would look our way and nibble a little bit at the willows. And then we hiked our drenched bodies back out and, and changed our gear. And You know, again, like I was saying, these trips just, as much as we love being here and we try to book off a significant amount of time to accomplish success and material because we don't know what the weather's going to do, how the animals will cooperate, what we'll find, um, it always goes by too quickly. So Tyler and I are leaving tomorrow. Very and sad. Yeah, it'll be it'll be hard to go because colors peak right now. Right now, animal activity is increasing for all these species, for the moose and the caribou. And, and the uh, color is perfect. It is perfect. So why I bring this up for our listeners is I fully anticipate another exciting podcast coming your way from Michael and Ron's adventures over the days ahead, because there are going to be experiences, adventures that will happen, surprises, photographic opportunities that we'll get to share with you on our next podcast. Yep. Okay, so Tyler, before we sign off today, one thing I wanted to ask is, you know, not being a wildlife guy, this being your first trip up to the north, I uh, just wanted to get your overall thoughts of the trip, the experience, um, the slave driver taskmaster that Mark Raycroft is. <laughs> oh, ouch. <laughs> just wanted to, yeah, just a summary of, of your experience up here. It's been a blast, man. It's uh, really educational. Like, Mark knows all this stuff about uh, wildlife behavior and, you know, how to approach the animal to not spook them and how to uh, find them in the first place and, like I said before, seeing the change in colors and seeing the landscape. It's my first time in Alaska at all. Um, it's the whole experience. It's just been a lot of, you know, ticking the box, a lot of first-time experiences. So that's that's been really unique and fun. And, you know, I love doing stuff in the outdoors. I think we mentioned in the last podcast that I'm a rock climber, and I like camping and climbing and doing all that sort of stuff. So being able to be out here and doing the video thing has been uh yeah, just the, a really good combination of a couple passions of mine. So the whole experience, absolutely uh, perfect. Well, and you fit that younger demographic audience, right, is where you like to see stuff happen fast and you like to see, well, I don't know, we haven't talked enough for me to know if that's you exactly, <laughs> but that generation is, you know, immediate gratification kind of stuff. And you've mentioned a couple of times zero to 100 with this stuff. Yeah. Which is kind of fun, right? Because you, you go from sipping coffee. Well, no, you go from sleeping in, sipping Once. coffee, then driving down the road. For the record. And then it's zero to 100 because you come around the corner and we've done raining. all the pre-work for you. Hard. Yeah, we did We did everything that needed to be done yeah. in order <laughs> then, for you to have this experience. And then you roll in and go to 100. Yeah. Yeah, that was fantastic. And, like, I don't ex expect that all the time i know that you know when you're looking for wildlife it's it's wildlife you're not going to find it like that uh so you know if, if it was easy it would be less satisfying so the fact that you know we're getting out there and looking for it and finding it is uh well like i said that combination of circumstances that has to come together for that experience to happen is uh it's huge i definitely appreciate that 
What do you think about the amount of the, I mean, it's not easy, right? As no. far as hard work. I mean, you put in a lot of miles to, to get that. There's a lot of sweat and there's a lot of changing to dry layers. <laughs> and Tyler's been great. A little bit of moleskin. He's been, yeah. He's a great personality. He's talented with what he does. A lot of patience and he's on board. He's ready to go no matter what's happening. So it's been a great 10 days. I'm so glad that I brought him along, and, and it's been a lot of fun. I'm glad, too. Yeah, it's been fun getting to know him and, uh, and have this adventure. So he was he was definitely on board. And, and, and it was it's cool because the other, you know, the other recent trips we've done with these stories, I've been doing the video myself on with the phone and the Osmo, and it works. But it's not nearly as, as dynamic and diverse as what we can do with somebody with, like, Tyler's skill set and having another cameraman that moves along with us that can document various aspects of the adventure for our listeners to view and enjoy, whether it be what the animal's doing or over the shoulder what we're doing or stopping and having a conversation. I think today, um, or at least in the last two days, for sure, if not just today, at some point Tyler was talking to each of us for the vlogs, you know, and, and getting our perspectives of what we were doing with our gear or it might be animal behavior or just that moment how wet our pants are <laughs> or our boots or whatever it might be. Um, so, well, and you had mentioned before that, you know, if there's, you know, that big, big bull comes out of the forest and if it's just you, you're going to be really torn between taking photos or doing video. So right, having, right. having yeah. that as a separate thing is, that was a challenge because I want these short videos to be as great as they can be for our audience. So if I was to set my still camera down and put it, the iPhone on the Osmo and do a short clip, then yeah, I miss You're something. losing valuable time. I'm losing time, but I'm also creating that content. But to have you along to create that content simultaneously, yeah, mm -hmm. great to point that out. It lets me keep shooting and, and creating content in that front, but also you're getting the experience, which creates more for people to see mm -hmm. because you're filming a lot more than I would do just by myself. Yeah. And from different angles. And uh, so, sorry, yeah, it was, it's great. So I, I'm just excited as just as excited as you guys are to see the uh, end results of these vlogs once they're all edited. And the vlogs themselves will be on our YouTube channel at Wild and Exposed Podcast if you search for that on YouTube. But like I said before, you can find them directly through our website as well at wildandexposed.com on the podcast page, WE Podcast. But you have to click on each podcast because the vlogs, these videos that are associated with this content for that podcast are at the bottom of that to click on when you go to the, that podcast. You enlarge it, click on it, and scroll down past the show notes. Enjoy those while you do scroll down, but you'll see any associated short videos there and can click and view them just as easily at that point on our website. But yeah, I, I, can, I can tell you, Tyler's enjoyed being in the far north. Thoroughly. And everybody I've brought on these trips all these years, it's a life-changing experience. It's grounding. It gives tremendous amount of appreciation for this vast, wild northern landscape. And as vast and wild as it is, you know, it's a vulnerable landscape. It's a sensitive landscape. And to see such a diversity of wildlife from small to big, you know, really enforces that, that belief and that feeling. And people come away um, even moved by it. In these 10 days, I had a... I did a, a book signing uh, for a few hours at, at a store, and one fellow who was talking to me, and I get to hear lots of stories doing the book signing for the Moose Book, and one fellow said he'd been here and he'd hiked it in this in this region, this general region, and he said he was almost moved to tears how beautiful this landscape is and how wild it is. And another lady told me that she'd been backcountry camping in a remote area with her partner, and they'd done it for several days but even coming back to a small town where i was doing this signing uh, was a bit of a culture shock you know and so to go back into a major airport you know tyler and i'll be flying through some big cities tomorrow you know it's it's very different so being here being here in person you know truly resonates and gives a tremendous amount of appreciation for what this wilderness is and so many people who go into wilderness whether it's backcountry camping or any other access points really walk away with that and I think every trip has done that for me it, it slows me down it grounds me and I love this vast country in the far north here and I think Tyler's definitely had that effect but it, everybody I've brought along over the years all my good friends or family walk away with that 
I wish more people could experience it. You know, I encourage people to get out into the, into the wilderness safely and smartly. But it's a true, u- truly unique perspective. And the blueberries are second to none. <laughs> the more, real reason we're all One more time. <laughs> <laughs> Tyler, what's your Instagram? It's the T-Burr. So T-H-E-T-B-U-R-R. Cool. He is the only T-Burr. I am the T-Burr. The T-Burr. Yeah, and he has, he has mastered the crane, the gimbal, his DSLR is on. That thing's been a lot of fun. And good. Game changer for the vlogs. Running through the tundra trying to keep up with you when you're in the zone. Yeah, would not have been doable without a stabilizer. Would have been a bit sort. more of a Blair Witch video, twitchy cameras <laughs> all over. But yeah, it's kept it a steady cam, so, or steady camera. Um, so that's, yeah, that's exciting that we've been able to capture that. And you'll be able to see that. So if you go to wildandexposed.com and go on the WE podcast page, you'll find this podcast there. Of course, you've already heard it on whatever platform you're listening to, which is great. But go to the website as well. You'll be able to see the images from these stories that we've had, these wildlife adventures, hikes that we've had. See the success images, the highlight images that we've discussed today. And probably a few behind-the-scenes images, too, because we've been capturing those and the great fun we've been having along the way. Please don't. (laughs) (laughs) So it's worth checking that out. Trust me, that fulfills, it completes the story. And on top of that, when you scroll down below the images, you'll see the show notes, but you'll also see the short videos that you can click onto and watch these one- to two-minute videos. And it's like taking you along on the story. I like to think of it as as a book. And each one is only one to two minutes long, but there might be five of them to take you on these adventures, whether it was the caribou hike, the moose hike, uh, yesterday's podcast on the doll sheep hike, which was epic. Tune into that if you haven't already. It's worth the listen because it's a highlight uh, of the far north here. Those are magnificent animals. So no matter what platform you're listening to us on, please take the time to subscribe and follow. And that way you can get the updates when our new podcasts are launched. We keep having new material coming your way. We have many exciting adventures planned throughout this fall and winter. And take the time, in addition to subscribing and following, to give us a thumbs up. Click on that icon, please, or give us a five-star rating because it really makes a difference and helps us to continue to do what we love to do and bring these podcasts your way on a regular, predictable basis. Until next time, you've been listening to Wild and Exposed Podcast. Thanks for tuning in.